Our scripture is from John chapter 3, verses 16 to 21. If you would please stand for the reading of scripture. St. John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is a judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. May God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your word. We pray that by the power of your spirit, you would come and speak to us so that we would see our Lord Jesus Christ high and lifted up and would hear his voice in our hearts and that hearing the voice of the good shepherd, his sheep would know him and follow him and we would offer ourselves to him promptly and sincerely. We pray you would do this in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name and for his honor and glory. Amen. Be seated, please. The love of God. There is what seems to be a random memory stuck in my mind from my early childhood. I must have been about three years old at the time, and I cannot remember the subject or the occasion of the conversation, but the one thing I clearly remember is me standing on the front steps of my grandparents' house and asking them why, over and over again, why, 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 why? I don't remember what I was asking why about, but I remember it so clearly. And I think I know why that one particular memory is so vivid. I think the Lord caused that incident to get imprinted into my long-term memory so that when my children do it to me and I start to get aggravated, I'll remember I've got it coming. And I reckon that John, the Apostle John, must have worn his parents slam out asking why over and over again as a little fella. Because he shows a lot of interest in the chain of cause and effect throughout the gospel and especially in the passage before us this morning. 
It's generally understood that this passage, John 3, 16 to 21, is the author. It's John's reflection on the words of Jesus in his conversation with Nicodemus in the previous passage. Jesus had told Nicodemus that he must be born again. And from what Jesus said to him, we can deduce why it is necessary to be born again. But in this passage before us today, John answers why. And you can see that mind at work. Why? Why do we need to be born again? And then Jesus had told Nicodemus that the new birth comes from the Holy Spirit and that we can have this gift of the new birth by the Spirit because Jesus, the Son of Man, would be lifted up on the cross and we may live because He died. John, that, that mind, he goes to work. And he wants to carry further. Why? We are born again by the Holy Spirit because the Son died. But why did the Son die? And John relentlessly asks the question, why? And drives us back to the ultimate cause of our salvation. And it is nothing else than the sheer love of God. I always feel unworthy and inadequate to try to preach the word of God but I feel the most unworthy and the most inadequate to try to preach the love of God God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son this is Mount Everest of the Bible the highest point of scripture now let's try to look at it now with the Holy Spirit's help First in this passage, you see the love of the Father. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It describes the greatest love of all time and it's essential that we not overlook who is doing the loving. It's God the Father. God so loved that he what? He gave his son. So that's talking about the love of the Father. Note this. Note it well. The Father's love comes before the giving of the Son. There have been those who thought it was the other way around. That the Son caused the Father to love us. But look at the context of John 3.16. Look at verse uh, 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, 
so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And you remember the children of Israel in the wilderness had complained against God. And God had punished them by sending poisonous snakes to bite them so that they died. And when they pled with Moses and he prayed for mercy for them, the Lord told him to make a bronze snake and lift it up on the pole and all who were bitten and would look to the snake would not die but live. And Jesus says, that is the picture of the entire human race. We, like the children of Israel in the wilderness, we are in rebellion. We are unthankful. We are under judgment. And like them, we are dead in our souls and doomed to die physically and eternally. But the Son of Man has been lifted up on the cross that whoever looks to him in faith should not die but live forever. It's our sin that has put us under the wrath of God. It's our sin that dooms us to death and hell. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus paid the wages of our sin in his death. And by trusting him, we may escape the wages of sin and find life, everlasting life. And you see, some have therefore concluded that the son's death caused the father to love us. You think of the child asking, why? Why does God love me? They would answer, God loves you because Jesus died for you. Folks, I hope you understand that that statement, God loves you because Jesus died for you, is sheer, unadulterated heresy. That's blasphemy. God didn't hate us. And then the son died. And then because the son died, he persuaded the father to love us. No, the son died for us because the father sent him to die for us because the father already loved us. God has always loved us. Eternally, before the foundation of the world, he has loved us with an everlasting love. Romans 5, 8 says, God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Father demonstrates his love in that while we were sinners, he already loved us and sent his son to die. Romans 5.10 says, When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. God the Father loved us and sent His Son for us while we were still sinners, while we were His enemies. You know, Jesus, He said it, love your friends and hate your enemies, right? Oh, no. He said, love your enemies. 
Pray for those who persecute you and despitefully use you. And God's not a hypocrite. He doesn't tell us to do something and then he'll do the opposite. The God who tells us to love our enemies loves his enemies. He loves us. You love your enemies? I have a friend who, large extended family. He'd been wronged by a cousin. It was bad. My friend had called an old preacher whom he looked up to and had sought his advice. And an old preacher taught it, told him that he had no obligation to forgive his cousin unless he first apologized to her. Well, he took that advice seriously, and over time, he became very, very bitter. And some years later, when the family was all together to holidays, one of his great aunts said to him, I perceive that you are angry towards so-and-so. He said, yes, I am. He wronged me. But his aunt told him, you must forgive him. And he said, no, I don't. I don't have to forgive him. He never apologized to me. And his aunt said, that's the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. What if God waited for us to repent before he sent Jesus into the world? We don't receive God's forgiveness and salvation before we repent and trust in Jesus, but God the Father already loved us. We couldn't ever repent and be saved if he didn't already love us. You know the Father's love in your heart? You come to love like that? You take the initiative to love an enemy? while they're still your enemy. Now this one verse goes further to define the Father's love. God so loved that he did something. He gave. He gave his only begotten son. How do you define love? What is it? Feeling? Sentiment? Here's something concrete. This is God's love. He gave his only begotten son. How much does God love you? Let's ask a different question. How much does God love his son? The word who was with God, the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father. Jesus will later say in the gospel of John, he that hath seen me hath seen the father. The father and the son are identical. 
The author of Hebrews says that the Son is the express image of the Father. He's the spitten image of God the Father Almighty. And not only does he look just like his Father, he sounds just like his Father. I have friends who are father and son, and they like to play a trick on mama. One will call her from the other's phone and make out like he's the other, and not even mama can tell them apart. Because they talk exactly the same. My oldest child, Mary Siobhan, she looks just like me, and praise God, she talks just like me. You're in John chapter 3. Look at, down at verse 34. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. The Son speaks the words of the Father. He sounds just like the Father. The Son is in the bosom of the Father. He's the spitting image of the Father. He sounds exactly like the Father. I ask again, how much does God the Father love God the Son? Look at verse 35, John 3, 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. God's love for His Son is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. Now, God so loved the world that he gave his son. The one he loves the most. Now, how much does God the Father love you? I would tremble to say it. Except it is the plain teaching of the Holy Word of God that God the Father Almighty loves you as much as He loves His only begotten Son. St. John 17 and verse 23, the Lord Jesus Christ prays for His people. To his father, and he prays that the world would know that the father sent him, and that the world would know that the father loves his people as he loves his son. You ever wonder if God really loves you? You ever have those moments where you you wonder how could God love the mess that I am? How do you know He loves you? How can you be sure He loves you? You can't base it on your circumstances. Job, I'm sure, felt the love of God 
as he held his newborn children, but the day came. The wind blew and the four corners of the house fell and God took all his children in one day. Now you can't base whether or not you know God loves you on your circumstances. So how do you know God loves you? You know where John is drawing the language of 316 from? He's getting it from the book of Genesis, chapter 22. And you remember God told Abraham to sacrifice his only son. And when we read that, we all wonder, how on earth could God tell a man to sacrifice his only son? And then we get to the end and we realize that God never intended for Abraham to have to sacrifice his son. It was a loyalty test. And then at the end, you remember the angel says to Abraham, Now I know that you really fear God. How did he know? Because you have not withheld your only son. Friends, that's how you can be sure God really loves you. He has not withheld the one he loves the most. His only begotten son. Abraham didn't have to sacrifice his only son. But the father did give his only begotten. You see the love of the Father. Secondly, in this passage, you see the mission of the Son. Look at verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. God, in His great love, sent His Son into the world on a mission. And here the Son's mission is stated both negatively and positively. Negatively, it says that God did not send His Son into the world to condemn it. God does not take any action to condemn the world. He doesn't have to. It's already condemned. Look at verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. John Calvin said, Why would God send his Son to condemn a world that was already ruined? You know, we've all wondered at times, what about those who don't believe? Or what about those who have never heard? You understand, no one is going to be condemned for not hearing about Jesus. Jesus came into the world because the entire human race was already condemned. Now think about a snake on the pole. People had sinned, they're bitten by poisonous snakes, and were dying. Moses, at the instruction of God, lifted up the bronze snake so all who looked would live. 
How many people died because of the bronze snake on the pole? Not one. You know, there are a lot of people there in the wilderness. What if someone missed a memo or, or was too far away and, and didn't look? Or, or what if someone knew he should look at the, at the snake on the pole, but when he got snake bit, he panicked and forgot to look? What happened? He died. But the snake on the pole didn't kill him. The snake that bit him killed him. He was already dying. He was already condemned. The cross doesn't send anybody to hell. Not hearing about Jesus doesn't send anybody to hell. Jesus came into the world because the entire human race is already doomed to hell. And God sent his son not to condemn us to hell, but to save us from hell. And there is no other way to be saved from it than to come to Jesus. That's the mission of the Son. You see the love of the Father, the mission of the Son. Thirdly, you see the condition of the world. Look at verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. You know, rivers of ink have been spilt over the meaning of the word world in John 3, 16. In what sense does God love the world? Does it mean the entire universe, heavens and earth? Or does it mean the entire human race? Or does it refer to the fact, as would have been an issue when John was written, that God's love goes beyond the nation of Israel to all the nations of the world? Or is world restricted to those who believe in him and have everlasting life. With all due respect, greater men than I have debated the scope of the word world in John 3.16, but I will submit that they have missed the point of it altogether. Here, verse 19 tells us what he means by the world. It's about the condition of the world God loves. Or to put it another way, God so loved the world is not about the quantity of the world he loves. It's about the quality of the world he loves. God loves a world that is evil. That's what it says, John 3, 19. The human race, their deeds were evil. God loves a world that when he sent his son, the light of the world, into it, they did everything they could to snuff out the light. God loves a world that wants absolutely nothing to do with him, a world that hates him, 
a world that would kill his son. And God so loved that world that he sent his son not to destroy it, but in allowing it to destroy him, he would save that world. Friends, we are that world. That's why we need to be born again. Naturally, we're repulsed by God. Won't come to the light. We're the enemies of God. But Jesus, in his death, purchased us the gift of a new heart. A heart that would love God and come to the light by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the love of the Father, the mission of the Son, the condition of the world. And fourthly and finally, you see the division of mankind. Look at verse 20. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now, we live in an age of gender and sexual confusion, group identity politics, class warfare, and racial tension. But at the end of the day, there are finally two and only two divisions of mankind. Those who have everlasting life and those who perish. Those who come to the light and those who hate the light. And the light is Jesus. And the line of demarcation between those two sets of people is faith. Whosoever believes in him. Verse 20 describes those who will not come. Verse 20 describes those who will. Now, is the person who refuses to believe and hates the light any inherently worse than the person who loves the light and comes to Jesus. And to put it the other way, is the person who loves the light and comes to Jesus, is he any better inherently than the person who refuses? Absolutely not. You see, verse 20 says that the one who, who won't come, it says his deeds are evil. He does. Wicked things. But you see what verse 21 there says about the one who does good? It says that when he comes to the light of the, comes to the, light of the world, the light reveals that his works have been carried out in God. Yes, he did better. But he only did better because of the work of God in his soul. Now the Father has loved his enemy. God the Father has sent His Son not to condemn us, but to save us. And the Son has been lifted up on the cross. The light has come into the world. And there's eternal life for all who will believe and come to the light. And those who do not come to the light will perish. Offers on the table. Will you come?
to the light. You can refuse it and bring down condemnation on your head. Or you can come and live forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.